Welcome to The Backdrop, Untold Stories in Golf. I'm your host and co-founder of New Club Golf Society, Matt Considine. Today, we have a very special guest, Jim Ryan of Jim Ryan Golf Design. Jim has made a name for himself with these digital renderings that you may see online of courses long lost. Today, we talk about one in particular where next month we will be hosting the Chicago Rumble, our two-man member-member event, 18 holes best ball followed by 18 holes of alternate shot at one of our society favorites, Langford and Moreau's Kankakee Elks. Within that 18 holes, there is one in particular that piqued both Jim Ryan and our society members' interest, and that's number five, which used to be number 14, but it's the Lost Volcano Hole. It's Langford Monroe short, about 120 from the back tee, as people think, but it falls off on every single edge, and it's one of those holes that you go, wow, who would have ever done that, but they did. And somewhere between the 60s and the 90s, it disappeared. Well, Jim and some of his history, his research, along with his digital renderings, helped us bring it back. And we've shared that with Kankakee Elks and the general management there. They also have interest in bringing it back. So it's this cool kind of convergence of everybody wanting to see a little piece of the past brought back to the future. And today we talk a little bit about that. We also talk to Jim about his childhood growing up in Philadelphia at courses like Marion, Aronimant, Golf Mills, and now his work in the biz of golf course architecture with other young guns who are making names for themselves like Tyler Ray and Kyle Franz. We first met Jim when we were down in Pinehurst scouting out the courses for what now is this fall's Founders Cup, where we'll be at Pine Needles, Mid Pines, Southern Pines, Tobacco Road for four straight days of unbelievable golfing competition. We will have 60 attendees in participation for that one. Uh, and so we think we're going to split it up and do a little north-south, Atlanta versus Chicago for our members. So if you're not yet involved in that one, I highly recommend taking a look at your schedule, seeing if you can make late October work. It's one of the best times of the year to be hanging out in the sand hills of North Carolina where the golf is just magnificent. We hope to see you there. Without further ado, let's dive into the show with Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan, welcome to the bag drop. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So take me, I found you in, in your Philly apartment right now, which is a rarity, right? You're on the road a lot, it seems. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the travel schedule can can get to you, and I don't even travel as much as Tyler, Kyle, friends, or any of that, but it's still a lot. <laughs> yeah. Does it booking feel... Flight, booking flights yesterday, it's giving me anxiety. It's like trying to move credit card points around to make sure you have enough credit just to book a week of flights. <laughs> it, the logistics of it, I mean, you guys... Do, do you have... You don't have people to do that. Like, you're also doing all your travel and all that. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, me and Tyler get into it every so often because we'll like show up at an airport at 5.30 for a 6 a.m. flight and like I won't have TSA pre-check on mine because he booked it. So then I'm waiting in the line all pissed off in the morning. Pretty funny. But uh, yeah, it's it's wild. I mean, I think I booked about nine flights yesterday for four day, Monday to Thursday next week. You just got to get that TSA, man. You sound like me and my wife. Like I was just going through this with her. I was like, you got to get on TSA. This is so much easier. Yeah, it's so much easier. Makes your life a million times easier. Um, 
we're, we're going to cross a lot of topics today. I want to start with uh, something I can relate to in your early childhood, you know, growing up in Philly, you did a lot of uh, golf course designs as a kid. Um, yeah. I remember you telling me that when we were in Pinehurst, first time we met and you know, I remember me, I, I would sketch out things on the back of the, uh, the church pamphlets, like on Sundays, I'd go with my mom and I'd always be looking for something to do. So she'd throw some crayons my way. And I remember those designs. I wish I would have kept them. Maybe she did. I don't know. But uh, how would you now, as a professional in the industry, grade your young childhood self on, on your design work? <laughs> it's funny looking at my high school senior project that's like sitting above my desk right now. It's funny that I look back at it and I'm like, wow, that is so bad. But I don't know. I mean, I used to play some weird games with myself in like my middle school notebooks where I would take a sheet of paper, like an eight by 11 piece of notebook paper and just draw a bunch of ponds and then try to route a golf course around that. So like I would play, it was, it was a game in itself. It's actually ironic now because I think made me pretty good at routing like I, I see that stuff really well now but um yeah I mean I I would sit and play sim golf like that sim series game for hours I mean hours and hours and hours and uh it was so rudimentary it was um I never got yeah. I never got into that what what system was that on it was just like a computer game and it was so so bare bones I mean I think it was you had squares of 25 by 25 pieces of grass that you could just put wherever. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever because you could, and then the little Sims would run around and make like triple bogeys and then it would pop up with little bubbles that they were cursing at you and stuff. It was awesome. Um, so just, I would, like, yeah. just like real life now, right? Yeah, exactly. And, um, but I mean, I, I don't think I have a notebook anywhere, even when I wasn't like when I was in college that, is not just full of golf course drawings. Um, it's, it's not notes. It's just drawings. And I would just, whatever like the PGA tour stop of the week was or wherever it went, I would just draw inspiration from that and see what happened. You, you, you mentioned that thesis, uh, which was senior year of high school, right? Yeah. yeah. So first off, I didn't have a senior year of high school thesis. So you must be, be well-educated, my friend. Um, but what, what was, tell me about what is Ardrosan farm? Yeah. Yeah. So ironically, I grew up in Philly. Um, and I went to Episcopal Academy for 12 years and then Haverford school for the last two. Episcopal is actually where George Thomas went to school. Um, but then Haverford being a private school, the last month of the year, we, uh, we actually got to do a thesis. So, Mine was, it was, I actually reached out to Gil Hans and asked for an internship for the month, like unpaid, whatever. They told me no. So I said, all right, fine. I'm going to design a golf course on this piece of land that I drive by on my way to school every day. So long story short, it turns out that our Drosen farm was actually almost where golf mills went and moved in the late 90s, early 2000s. And there's like a whole backstory about it. And it's, it's super ironic now that I'm doing what I do, that um, it was that piece of land. But it was cool. I mean, I got literally, they let me do whatever I wanted. Um, I built an entire 3D model of the golf course with topo and everything. Taught myself how to do Photoshop renderings. Um, and designed this unbelievably difficult 7,500 yard golf course on a 
with 18 yard wide fairways and uh, an impossible short course on like this little cow pasture on the south side of the property. And I thought it was awesome. Um, and now I look back at it, I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> well, if Gil would have given you that internship, you know, it probably would have been a little bit better. But what were, what were your influences uh, to that point? You know, obviously, narrow fairways and forced carries. I think what you do now is a much different. Yeah. So I grew up on a George Fazio course, Waynesboro Country Club. That's pretty much what I saw. Um, I mean, I was lucky with high school golf at Haverford. We played golf mills, Marion and Aronimic. So a little spoiled in that regard. (laughs) Um, But Waynesboro was where I played 95% of the time growing up. And that's, I mean, that's an up and back flat fairways, bulldozer central, uh, quadrant greens. So that's just what I grew up accustomed to. And that's what I thought good golf was. Um, it's, I mean, it's also ironic because when you like the early two thousands were kind of this beginning of this new Renaissance in golf course design. And that's when like the abandoned dunes and Pacific dunes and that kind of stuff started becoming prevalent again. So it was coming out of those dark ages of the sixties to the nineties, which were just that up and back so it is ironic that my high school thesis in 2012 is was kind of like that you know well there's there's two uh george fazio's that i can think of in chicagoland area and both known uh, a good bit for their difficulty so butler national and uh uh balmoral woods which is a total hidden gem actually that people don't really give much uh, consideration but i think it's actually kind of fun is is was Waynesboro's that type of difficulty as well? Yeah, it's just it's just a big golf course. Um, the greens are just massive with huge tiers, and if you're on the wrong tier, you can't two putt, and if you're above the hole, you're dead. Um, it's it'll be cool. I mean, Andrew Green's doing a big renovation this fall, whole bunker renovation. It's going to be awesome. Um, so it's it'll be great with him coming off congressional and that kind of style. Um, influence or that influence on Waynesboro, which is just kind of a, the back nine is just kind of a flat piece of land. So it'll be, it'll be cool to have some flair. Nice. I'm excited. And those places, this is something uh, I think about a lot is, uh, and we're going to talk about Langford and Moreau today, I'm sure with some of the stuff you're, you're doing, uh, working with us on a project that we care a lot about. Um, But I think about where we grow up and the courses that we play and how it influences our preferences and our opinions on what good golf is. So Waynesboro is your first kind of probably the canvas that you have all your memories on, but uh, those other places are no slouches and Marion and Aronimic and golf mills. So what, well, how do you think, you know, where we grow up influences us as our opinions on on golf? How do you think it it plays a role? Yeah. I mean, golf is, in, I fell in love with golf because it's my family. It's like where I spend time with my dad and my brothers. And that's, I mean, I'm one of the people that's not a very competitive golfer. I'd rather have a few beers and shoot 75 and grind over a 69 and be, and play in six and a half hours. Um, so from that perspective, I think golf is inherent. It's almost like a religion or politics. It's like inherently personal in a way where it's like people have different values and people play for different reasons. 
Um, to your question, I think, yeah, I mean, growing up on, if you grow up on a narrow tree line golf course and then you see Lasonia or you see like in Philly, one of the first clubs that really cut down a bunch of trees was Philadelphia cricket club. You see courses like that. You're like, Whoa, this is jarring. Um, so yeah, to your, but it, there's not necessarily one that's correct. You know, I think the members at colonial would tell you that if you cut down all their trees, then you're crazy. So to your point, yeah, it's growing up is pretty much frames what your idea of good golf is because it's where you have all your memories. Right. So our job as architects is essentially trying to sway people into more fun so that those memories can then be, oh, that's the first time you broke 80 or, oh, that's the first time you broke 90 with those people. And those reasons, those personal reasons that you play golf are in a more fun setting. It's funny. I think that a lot of the conversations we have with committees is like, oh, you're going to add width. You're going to cut down all the trees. You're going to make it so easy. And we always say it's like if most people are 10 handicap in golf, right? How often are you breaking 85? How often are you breaking 80? Like if you can go out there and shoot 62, be my guest. And we'll have the conversation that the golf course is too easy, but you can take a golf course that's Aaron Hills and the average 10 handicaps can go to Aaron Hills and shoot a million and it's 90 yard wide fairways or Kiowa. Everyone saw Kiowa recently. And we go down there every year as a family and play the ocean course. And you need a helicopter to get to some of the tees that they're playing compared to where we play it from. And those fairways are 90. You can land a 737 on those fairways and no one's going to break 80. So it's to your point. I mean, Growing up, people have just been accustomed to the last 30 years of just narrow, singular, hit the ball straight, bunkers on both sides of the fairways. And it's an opportunity for architects to kind of go in and show how cool golf was and how cool golf can be and use the kind of those early 2000 different designs where it was much more open and I hate to use the word links-like, but a lot of those abandoned dunes kind of places and sand valleys and all these new resort courses as like templates for saying, this is okay. These are models that work as golf for the future. Yeah. Fun, big, wide, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, it's funny you bring up uh, committees and members. I People love talking to architects. Gol golfers love talking to architects. And uh there's everyone has their own reasons. My, mine, I think is slightly different because what I love most about your guys' job, or I love talking to you guys most about your job is that interaction with committees. Uh, it's something I have to do a lot for the golf society. And, and my cell I think is a lot <laughs> easier than yours sometimes because you guys are changing the place that they are emotionally so tied into. And, uh, and, you know, you brought the difficulty piece up. I, this is one thing that, that does drive me nuts when um, courses push back on some of this stuff is when they think about difficulty, I don't think they're thinking about their own game. Like uh, that, that you're making it easier for me, you know, most, most members, I think what they're thinking of is when we host whatever amateur or when we have, you know, our club championship, we want to brag about the best players shooting over par. And, and I just find that so, um, so hilarious because like, 
there, there's no stopping golfers are, are, I mean, in general, humans are just going to get better at things and, and golf is, is going to continue that direction. People are improving. Uh, look at, just look at what's happened from fitness to equipment to all this stuff. Yeah, we can roll back, whatever, but uh, low, low scores are coming. And, and there's not a whole lot you can do from the best players in the world who are giving absurd hours to be good at it. But the average player, like, when they say difficulty, they're not talking about themselves. They are going to have more fun if they can, you know, but most of the time they're not shooting lower anyways. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's golf, golf. I mean, there's, there's writings. I mean, we do a lot of obviously being where we are um, and working with Tyler and Kyle, it's a lot of restoration work and you read a lot of the stuff that Ross and Flynn and all these guys say, and pretty much every thing that those guys wrote is basically like the course is designed for the members even back in the 1920s and 1930s. And that's what we kind of have to relay to, to committees and to, I mean, if, if Bryson or Cam Champ shows up yet, yeah, they're going to fly the bunker that's 330 yards off the tape. There's nothing you can do about that. And at the end of the day, that that's fine. But the idea is that we create cool pin positions that they're, if they don't hit it in the perfect spot, then that may not be the best play. So it's just trying to create levels that make it like, and that's why the 10th hole Riviera is so perfect. Right. I mean, it's a perfect golf hole because there's not a way to one way to play it. Um, you can hit driver, but you could screw yourself. You could hit a seven iron off the tee and that may be the right decision one day and the pin could be back the next and it could be the wrong decision. Um, that's what, if you could create 18 holes like that on a golf course, you'd have a great golf course. So there you go, dude. You mentioned Riviera. It just reminded me of something else you told me about the poster on your wall. Uh, <laughs> your parents, <laughs> quick, quick aside about that picture. Yeah, it's a uh, a famous Leroy Neiman painting from the 1970s that they told me was a uh, was the 18th hole at Riviera hanging on my childhood wall. Um, and I looked at that every night, and I don't know. I just it's clearly not Riviera and I've known that for a long time, but I've never really taken the time to look up where it is, but the giant hotel behind the 18th green would be the dead giveaway. <laughs> giveaway. That's great. Have you, have you uh, broke your parents' heart and told them it's not Riv? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I don't think they would be too upset either way. <laughs> but let them, let them believe it. That's, that's a, it's a, a gift nonetheless. And it's cool that you yeah. kept it. You know, go golf course architecture seems to me to be a uh, really tough, industry to get into um i think you're what three or four years in officially i'm sure you, you've had prior but as a professional mm -hmm. uh what does it feel like being the new guy because that is new right like that, that oh, compared I mean, to some of these guys i mean that is fresh yeah i mean tyler ray is 36 and he's considered a child um i'm 27 i'm like the infant um, so we like, I, I don't tell people how old I am in interviews or <laughs> meetings because at the end of the day, you're inherently selling to people whose kids are my age, right? Um, these boards are 60 year old men and women and they're, I'm their kid's age. So <laughs> I don't want them to know how old I am, but, um, yeah, it's, it's cool though. I mean, it, it's, it, it's opportunity. I mean, I get to learn every time I I'm at an interview, every time I'm at a, meeting i'm learning which is awesome that's exciting um nothing's old to me which i love um i've been around it a long time but at the same time it's 
there's there's just so many nuances that you can pick up on every day and learning i mean i can sit here and say like yeah i'm really good at putting plans together and that side of it but i can't hold a candle to kyle and tyler and in, in the dirt you know that kind of stuff sitting in an excavator or bolt shaping in a bulldozer and that stuff and i mean you spend people spend their entire lives trying to master that stuff um so there's just so many it's such a weak to your point it's such a hard business to get into because it's such a hard, it's such a weird business yeah um there's not i mean my week will look like one day i'm presenting to 300 people with or and then the next day i'm sitting there basically doing artwork and then the next day i'm sitting in a bulldozer you know that's not that's not a normal job um there's no healthcare benefits in what we do. So, I mean, it's, it's a very, you have to have a different mindset and be uh, it's, it's a kind of a crime of passion in a way. <laughs> For you, you better be passionate. You better yeah, be. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, it's so cool. I mean, it's, it's what I've always wanted to do. I kind of took a roundabout way to um, getting into it and I have such a different background than most, but I mean, even like, look at, Alistair McKenzie wasn't a landscape architect that designed, like went into golf course design. Um, I mean, Donald Ross, what, like none of those guys were, and I mean, obviously it's a different culture now with college and all that stuff, but I mean, you can still look around and find, I mean, not, there's no one way to become a golf course architect. Um, there's, you just, it, it's whatever kind of, everyone kind of has to forge their own path. Um, and so that, I mean, that's why it's so difficult. There's, there's areas. And just from talking to you the times that we have, I know the areas that you really enjoy about your job, but back to these committees, which again, I'm, I'm a different breed myself. Do you, have you, is that a necessary evil, you know, speaking to the 200, 300 folks that may or may not love your ideas and, or, or have you grown to actually enjoy that aspect of the job as well? I think that the presentations to memberships are much more, they're, they're fun because that's, because when you know, you have a good, when you've spent hours and hours and you believe in like what you're presenting and we put together crazy PowerPoints and 3d renderings and all that stuff to show it off, that gets people excited and that's fun. The committee meetings can be, you have to create buy-in because inherently they don't, those, those are your biggest critics, right? They're the ones telling you, oh, so-and-so says this, is we shouldn't do this, so-and-so says this, we can't cut those trees down, we can cut those trees down, the township says this, the township says that, the county, et cetera. So those can make you want to pull your hair out at times. Um, but at times it's awesome. I mean, you, get, you can get a few guys on one of those committees that are like, this is, we believe in this. And at the, it's their reputation too. And if you get them on board, we're going to, we're going to put the work in. Um, I don't think anyone's ever <laughs> accused us of not. I mean, we love it and our passion will shine through if they let us. So that's just what we have to convince them at the beginning and go all out from the interview to the first mass, like through the master planning process. And once we get that buy-in, that's when the membership stuff's fun because then they get excited. As long as you communicate it all, people typically get excited when they know what they're getting. Yeah. Usually you get the most kickback when it's when people feel like they're in the dark. Do you, the, um, for yourself, that that's important, obviously is getting the people that the, the biggest stakeholders being the members, being the folks that 
you know, want to have uh, their asset improved. Uh, do, but for you personally, in th- three or four years into the industry, do you feel like uh, winning the respect of your peers is more important to you at this, at this time? Is it, is it getting, you know, guys like Tyler and Kyle and Gil to say, Hey, that's pretty good right there. Yeah, for sure. I think <laughs> the best compliment I ever got was, I think Tyler said, I dread the day that I have to interview against you. <laughs> and, wow. and I was like, all right, that, that carries weight. <laughs> um, they're just on like the last, I've been with Tyler for pretty much exactly a year now. And he's just like, he's so young in the industry, but he's so talented and like passionate about what he does. And it's easy to work for people like that. Um, and Kyle's the same way. And it's just, yeah, I mean, getting their compliments is awesome. It's, it's cool. Ultimately there, it's such a, to your point earlier too, with it being a weird business, it's like, ultimately the way people kind of grow their own book of business is by getting the respect of other golf course architects because architects will give each other business, which is a really odd concept. Competitors, but. Uh, yeah enemies you 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 can't do it all so you need good other people to refer exactly and that's the that's the most it it is really more important to have the respect of the people in the industry than the respect i mean yeah obviously for your business to take off you need to have national claim etc but that especially starting out i mean the way everyone kind of grows is oh i'm too busy you should call so-and-so and then that's how your name gets into the clubs like that are on the edge. And then you turn those clubs into top 50 club. And all of a sudden your name's on the front page of golf digest and people, the phone doesn't stop ringing. Um, and that's just a weird concept for <laughs> competitors to almost be helping each other out because they're too busy. Yeah. But when you have a bunch of freelance firms of one or two people, that's what you get. I mean, the biggest firms in this business are two people. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. That's wild. You know, like it's, it, there's so much business risk and there's, it's crazy. It's just such a weird business. It is. It is. It seems very weird. And the, uh, being a, a fan of golf and just, uh, our golf society going around and seeing as many places as we have, you know, uh, the reputations of the two guys that you've teamed up with are, are pretty astounding for as young as they are. So Tyler and, and Kyle, and I was curious with you joining them on certain projects, um, it, what's your role at, with, with those guys? And we, as talented as they are, I mean, you, you, you clearly have a lot of talent yourself, but as talented as they are, what, do you feel like you have to bring something a little different to the table with them? Yeah, so it kind of goes back to what, like how I got into this business. Um, and I know this is kind of a long answer for a short question, but um, stop. Those me. are those are those are built for podcasts, so you're all good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I when I got into this business, I got actually Richard Mandel reached out to me because he saw my Instagram because I was doing. Um, he's, he's the uh, Pinehurst based Ross uh, restoration expert, right? Yes. Yep. Um, So I was working as a project manager for a Philadelphia based golf course construction and renovation firm um, doing pretty like building tees, building bunkers, installing irrigation. Yeah. I mean, pretty much everything Um, literally in the mud every day, which was good experience, but 
Um, and then at night I was building a portfolio essentially on, on Instagram and trying to get, just see what I could, any traction I could get. Um, and ultimately what I did was I figured out how to do 3d renderings of golf courses that no longer exist. Um, and that got me some intention. So I built out the third nine at Aronimic that never got built because of depression. And then I've been, I was born in Lankanaw, which is the original location of Overbrook golf club in Philadelphia. So I've been working on rendering that out. And then I rendered out Seminole, how Seminole looked in the 1920s. I started posting all this stuff online and, um, started getting some just attention from random people. And one day I get an email. It's like, Hey, looking for a design associate. So down to Pinehurst, I go sight unseen, met Rich once, accepted the job. I met him in DC and that, cause he was up there, drove down for the day, spent the day with him, moved down to Pinehurst two weeks later and lived down across from number two for 18 months. Um, perks of being 24 and single. <laughs> um, but then I, being from Philly, my family's in Philly. I wanted to move back up here. So I was, had been talking to Tyler, but the, the reason I bring up the story of moving to Pinehurst is my value, like in what I do is most was because I could do these 3d renderings. And that was something that was different than anyone else that, um, they could have hired. I think that's kind of a lost idea in society that like people, people go to college and they're like, all right, I need a job. And it's like, well, if you're looking for a job at JP Morgan, like what value do you offer JP Morgan if you can't use Excel, right? Like that's why that's a skill set. It's kind of the same thing as the reason I was able to get a job or two in this is because I was able to take something that would cost thousands of dollars for someone to get renderings and make it free for them. And that was like kind of my value add. Um, and it's funny to think of it in such analytical terms. I sound like Bryson DeChambeau right now, but it's like, that's kind of how I got into it. So that's where I offer kind of the most value to Tyler and Tyler has been teaching me how to shape. And so I've been pushing dirt for them and doing some of the like rough shaping for them so that they can come in and kind of clean things up. I'm getting better at that. Um, and ultimately that will be where I can add value over time. And that's where the majority of the money is in one of our businesses, but um, where I've been in the first year or your route in, in a way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was able to do something completely different than anyone my like age and in the business was able to do. And I had an experience, I had experienced literally in like, there were days where I was down at Spring Lake golf club in New Jersey, putting in 12 inch pipe in the dirt. Like I wasn't afraid to get dirty, you know? Um, and I was able to do a few different things and taught myself CAD and did the things on the side that like I was able to, I could do the basic job functions, but then there was also just a few extra value adds that, um, I was lucky to just pick up. Like it was almost just, I was doing it out of passion and it turned into being like an unbelievably valuable thing in this business prior to well renderings so were architects typically outsourcing this for their firms was this something that was necessary or is it now just becoming deemed necessary therefore it has more value it's necessary um i don't think a lot of you'd be shocked how many architects don't do it though i mean that and that's why it's so it's so hard to explain to someone 
and this is why you run into committees that are not on board, um, is if you give someone a 2D plan, right? You give them a beautiful master plan. It's really hard for someone that has no idea what you're talking, like is meeting you for the first time to understand what you see and take that plan and say, oh, they're, they're proposing moving a bunker. I don't like that. And I mean, they're, of course, they're not going to be on board. But then taking that into a three-dimensional space and saying, "This is I'm standing on the tee box. Now think about what this looks like now. This is what it will look like. It's so much easier to get by. And I mean, we had a club in Chicago. Um, we did like a whole 3D book. We're building a new nine holes at Northmore starting this fall. And um, we... I think it was a 97% approval for the vote. I think there were only like six down votes or something. Um, because it, they could see literally from T to green on every hole. And it's just such a, and it's so, I mean, it's such a small thing. Like I didn't even think anything of it. And I didn't think there was such a need for it. I wouldn't have, I was just doing it for fun. I think it was cool to model these things out. Um, and it's it, it turned into being something incredibly valuable. Um, but you'd be surprised. I mean, there are some things like it's traditionally what has happened is you, if you're doing a 2d plan, right, you're going to grade out the site. So if we're going to build these bunkers, we need to figure out how much dirt. And that was kind of the role of the, that's why landscape architecture is such a um, prevalent golf course design skill in the in the 60s 70s 80s right because you'd have a contractor build it so you'd need to do the plans and you would need to know how to grade now with everyone kind of shaping on their own things don't need to be within six inches on paper because you're just going to balance it on site yourself if you're the one sitting in the bulldozer you can tie everything out and you don't need to tell the contractor that they need to haul 50 cubic yards of dirt to the other hole you're just going to balance it on site yourself so it takes a huge that's why it's such a, uh, I know and I'm going off on an aside here, but the shit, the whole industry has shifted because you're just cutting out the middleman essentially with the contractor screwing up. Um, and if you're there, the one, if you're the one building it, people can finish it for you and just like prep it all, but you're not going to have these big, that's why the, the, there's all these shapers that are becoming the, the big architects. It's, uh, I've gone, it's I love, fascinating. No, yeah. it's, it's, this is really fascinating. Cause I mean, it's something that I think all of us can relate to in any of our industries, you know, that, that technology has, uh, removed a lot of the middle mess, uh, that yeah. things are, are not lost in translation because it can be tied so directly and, and the renderings, man, I mean, first off, I love them. I'm, I'm a geek. Like I, no one, we were talking today, I was scrolling through. I wish you would post more, by the way, you need to put more of these out there. But, um, for those that, that don't know, it's, it's at Jim Ryan GC design, if you want to check it out. But, uh, I, I just think what you're talking about is so true where you're, you're, you're standing there on the first tee. Um, how long before we can throw on the virtual headsets, virtual reality, and actually hit that first tee shot? So, I mean, you could, like, if you took the seminal file that I had, you could put it into a sky track and play it tomorrow, um, which is cool. I mean, the, the software is convertible to some, uh, some simulators actually. So we've actually talked to clubs about doing it when, if we're proposing like a major renovation, actually building it out in, in like 3d space and then giving it to them to play on that simulator which would be kind of cool. I mean, it's, it's a wild thought, but it would 
get buy-in from a club for sure. Um, so it, we, it's the conversations are happening. I don't want to give away too many of my yeah, yeah, no, secrets, no, no. but <laughs> I, I see where it's going though. I see where it's yeah. going, man. I'm yeah, like, no, I mean, it's, um, it's funny. I mean, the busier I've gotten with Tyler and Kyle, it's like the less I've posted, but I feel like I need to keep up with that. And there's some stuff like I, I've had the, the Overbrook study on my plate forever and I have it built out. It's just, I haven't gotten around to kind of packaging it and putting it out there for professional consumption. And that's, I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, there's a lot of people that can put a 3d model together in AutoCAD, you know, like it's pretty basic in like civil 3d or um, to build out a 3d model of something, but then packaging it in a way that is understandable from the perspective of someone sitting in the crowd at a club is the most important part. So it's, I, I think my unique background kind of gives me a leg up there in some aspects, some not aspects it's not helpful, but whatever. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of historians on the pod. Uh, people do love the connection to the past. You know, it makes you feel, it makes you feel like more a golfer when you know who had played there before, who built the place. Uh, just fun facts about the, the grounds you're walking on. Um, I So for you to have to do these renderings, I was thinking about this, uh, where you rebuilt Seminole to look, you know, what it was in the 20s, you, uh, the Lost Nine at Hieronymic, the uh, Overbrook that you mentioned, and, and we're going to talk about a lost hole that is coming back to some degree uh, here shortly. But tell me about the history part of what you do. So in order to make those renderings, you got to find out what it looked like. You got to find yeah. how, how are you piecing this together? So typically what we'll do is obviously look for a plan. If there's a plan, if it's a, let's say it's Ross, right? The Tufts archives are great. That's a huge resource center in Pinehurst um, or the club. I mean, there's a lot of clubs have a historian that is, that'll do a lot of it on their own time, which is always a valuable resource. You start with a plan, then you go and you find aerials. Um, depends where you are in the country, how good the aerials will be. And like the Northeast, you can find back to pretty much the twenties. Um, there was one guy with a plane that flew around the entire Northeast. Um, and they have all of his archives pretty much digitized at this point. And those are, I mean, that's how they restored Aronimic. Um, which is an entirely another conversation we can get into restoration because that's Aronimic is restored now to the aerials, but it was originally restored under Ron Pritchard to the plans. So I don't want to sidetrack us, but just yeah. put a feather on that cap. We can get to that conversation. <laughs> um, so then you look for the aerials and then what we'll, what I'll do is I will scale out um, it all. I'll geo-reference everything in AutoCAD get a property line, get all the topography, um, measure out the existing features, and then I will overlay those things into CAD. So then I'll have, here's the plan. Um, this is what the plan looks like versus what's here today. Then whatever the earliest aerial is, let's say it's like a 1938 aerial will be common. You take, you trace all those features and you overlay them. So it's like, this is what was supposed to be there. This is what the contractor ultimately built because we know Ross was only here five times in his life. And then this is what um, is here today. Now, the conversation then becomes, what's the best decision for Club X? Like 
what are the best decisions for this club moving forward, right? You don't want to just say the plan is the plan. We're going to restore the plan. You don't want to say this is what was built. Let's restore what was built. Drivers go a lot farther now. The ball is different. The game is different. What are you going to, like, what are the concessions you're going to make? What are the things we should bring back? And then that's kind of where you go. And that's the whole master plan process. But yeah, going back to that ironic thing, it's, it's fascinating how different restoration, restoration can be a very dirty word in our business because how, I mean, we're going to, let's say we're restoring a club. You can't really restore, if you build USGA greens, you can't restore the greens. I mean, you can scan what's there, but who's to say that that's what was there. You can't, and, and around, I always use Aronomic just because I've spent a lot of time looking at Aronomic is Aronomic's an interesting case study in restoration because in 2000, whatever, Ron Pritchard was in there and he restored it to the plants and it was built as Ross would have built it had Ross been there. But Ross was only there like twice in his life, I think. And McGovern built a lot of Ronimic and they split a lot of the bunkers up and there's unbelievable early 1930s aerials. And that's what Hans went back in there in 2017 and restored to that. And that was the best decision for Ronimic. Um, so it's, they made the decision for their club moving forward. And that's awesome. I mean, there's not a right or wrong answer to that. It's just an interesting case study and what people should look for if they're restoring their golf course. I think, uh, for really great golf courses that, you know, I'm, I'm, I still play in amateur events. I always get on Google earth and I do the overlay aerials. Sometimes I'll get curious. I'll go look if there's old ones and, Oh, that bunker used to be here. Now it's there. And, um, I, I, I like doing that, but it's, it's only so much of the, the story sometimes for a not so engaging golf course. It is the story. Like that's all I really need. But, uh, the old course, you, you look at an aerial of the old course, you're getting, 20% of the story, you know, that, and I, and I think that's why I love your rendering so much, why I can, you know, look at your renderings a lot longer than I would an aerial because my mind goes to playing the shot and the actual visual of the shot. The, it, oh, wow. It's blind. I didn't know that. I'm not going to yeah. be able to see the pin from there. Um, things like that with the ground contours. I mean, that's, that's, uh, that's a whole other element. Yeah, no, it's a completely different element. It's, uh, it's valuable. I mean, it's, I had no idea how valuable it was when I started doing it and I got lucky and uh, here, here I am, I guess. <laughs> so piece of, it, of, of those ones that have been lost or were never built, um, yeah. which one would you like to, to bring back? If someone said, here you go, pick, pick which one you want to do. <sighs> That's a good question. I mean, the Overbrook golf course that I built out that was at where Lankanal was there's actually still three holes sitting in the woods that are used to be Episcopal Academy's like running trail for cross country um the bunkers are still there um which is cool because they built the hospital in the 50s but uh the that golf course was awesome um it was really cool trying to think of like a bigger national one that would be really cool to bring back. I mean, they're kind of doing it with the Lido. Um, and that's kind of a similar proposition. I mean, the validity, like it's, it's cool what they're doing there because it's from scratch so they can build it however they want. I mean, obviously you can't replace the ocean. <laughs> so that's it's just a tiny uh, feature. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of a concession, but, um, the it's kind of a similar process to how they are building that out is what I do with the renderings. Um, and I don't know how much you've seen of that with how they're, they built it out in 3d and they're kind of using that as a guide. 
that's hard though because they're using data from that has been developed so the land is not untouched i mean it you can only there's a, there's very few golf courses that um have just readily apparent features that are still there and this is kind of a good segue into kankakee um but a lot of golf courses have just been bulldozed over over time and there's very few places that have just that you can go and pull the elevation data and pull it into a 3d model and do kind of digital archaeology where you can see oh there was a bunker there there was a bunker there um and that's what i'm trying to get into ultimately but you there's limitations with how far back the data was collected um ultimately like what what i would like to be able to do is take a let's say uh there's 2000 like lidar data that there was elevation data taken in like 2000 and we know that there was an original green there in 2000 then it got bulldozed over in 2005 like what i'd like to be able to do is pull out the green as it was in 2000 and then use that to rebuild the green back to the original like that would be the coolest way to translate that data um Again, I know I'm kind of going on the side, but a <laughs> little, little bit of the, you know, the Bryson behind the magic. I get it. Yeah. But um, that's, I mean, that, and that's kind of the way that's what's so unique about a place like Kankakee or I was recently at Wakanda down in Des Moines, Iowa, where a very similar kind of thing where these big Langford Moreau bunkers are just sitting in the woods. Um, and you can look at like one of the things we did with down in Wakanda was like, like we, when we were interviewed down there was look at the elevation data of just no trees on this property. Where are the bunkers? And you can see them in the woods, but if you look at it in a model, it's crazy. Uh, That's so cool. yeah, it's cool. And I'm glad you, you, you got me there. Cause I, I've, I've asked you all kinds of questions, but not the reason I, one of the main reasons I want to talk today, which was uh, Langford and Moreau and, and how, you know, our little golf site getting started in Chicago. We like, seek these guys out. And, and, uh, you know, I grew up on Langford Monroe courses and it's just, it, it mean meaningful to me and more and more of our members are just like this place rocks and, uh, all their places. And, and, and we're fortunate that there's some still untouched relatively speaking in, in our uh, general neck of the woods, but we just had Dan Moore, the historian, uh, he's an expert on, on Langford, uh, here from Chicago. We just hit him on, but I, I want to know from your, architecture perspective your design perspective how you would describe uh wild bill langford bold <laughs> um big look just I, I think bold is the one word i would use to describe him he's just a he, everything was just jacked up scale wise um and everything was just you could tell that they were the first kind of people that used heavy machinery when you walk on their courses I know like their early courses are a little less bold, but some of their later stuff is just, it's just the scale is massive. I mean, even their work at like Skokie, go to the what 13th green at Skokie. I mean, that green sits 15 feet above everything else. Um, is that the part three? So, yeah, the part three around the pond. Yeah, oh my so they, gosh, they, it's, it's mon yeah. a monster. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's considered obviously one of a, the best Ross courses, but Langford and Moreau had a hand in five or six holes over there. And the, the holes there, you can tell that they're Langford and Moreau. I mean, they fit Ross a little bit, but 
there's just bold. I mean, even early, like the early Ross stuff had some cool bold bunkering, but the Langford and Moreau was just, it took it to another level. Um, and it was there. You can tell there was a bulldozer involved and a steam shovel involved. And it was, it's just so different and unique. So that's uh Kankakee Elks. We, uh, if you played in the, the rumble, which is our uh, annual member, member 36 hole, uh, all shot competition. And if you played in it, you got a, uh, uh, a map, of course, map of the original 19, I think, I don't know what year you went back to, but what, what was your print we did for, it was the 39, it was 39. Mm-hmm. And, and so, man, I, I just thought it was so cool. We handed those things out last year and everyone starts geeking out on all the, on the holes uh, that, that are just slightly different. You know, a lot of them still have tree lines now, bunkers that are, are, you know, behind those trees and, and yeah. you start to see more magic than there already is. Cause it, it's, you know, a hoot to play as it stands today. It's, it's fairly in touch. Um, so tell us your project you did last year for the, that course map and, and kind of going and figuring out more about Kankakee and then, and then we'll talk more about what we got for this year. Yeah. So basically that was the 30, I did kind of that process that we'll do with restorations to get that, to get that map. Right. So I'll, I pulled out, um, all the geo reference stuff. And then I scaled out the aerial to match the topo and drew it all out and then put it in like Photoshop and made it look like it was an old world drawing. Um, it's, it's ironic that Langford and Moreau for as many golf courses as they built in the Midwest, there's so few drawings that they did. Um, I think I've only found like three or four of them. <laughs> I mean, readily available. I'm sure Dan could probably find a few more, but there's, I think that was, I don't know. I mean, they probably did. It was kind of a, probably the advent of the modern shaping kind of build. I mean, they were probably in the field a lot more. Um, I mean, Ross, Ross drew everything because he was there for a day. Um, and then he was on to the next one and he might come back and make some adjustments, but that's why there's a ton of Ross drawings. That's why there's a ton of Flynn drawings. Um, I mean, these guys, and I don't know this, but that's, it's a hypothesis that maybe these guys were building it themselves. They were using the machinery. They liked it. (laughs) You know, that could be true. Um, I could be completely wrong, but it's, (laughs) it's an idea. Uh, it's just, it's just an odd thing that I've noticed that there really isn't a, a drawing. There's, there's one really good one and it's Wakanda in Des Moines, Iowa. And it's an awesome drawing. One of but, the best. Yeah. Yeah. But you can, you can't really find cool prints from them. Uh, but then, yeah, I, I put that together and scaled it all out and you can go back and see like all the different yardages and how things have changed. And it's cool to look at, um, a 30 what the 38 golf course looked like on the current two foot contours because to your point it's all just sitting there nothing's really changed um it's all just out and it's crazy i mean there's very few places like that where it's just no one has touched it over a hundred years and it just is what it is now and if people love it it just it could be so much better with such little work the, it's crazy. It, it, it is crazy. And so I'll, I'll just jump to the volcano hole. We can talk broadly about Kankakee a little bit. Uh, obviously, yeah. people will be interested. We're going back this month or August for our uh, of our, our annual event there. And um, I'm standing with your print 
you know, at, at the rumble last year and we're just all kind of geeking out over it. And this older guy is kind of lurking over my shoulder, listening to conversation. turns out he's the superintendent. He grew up there. He, uh, he uses superintendent lightly because he also takes care of the baseball fields down the street and, and the guy can, you know, grow grass, take care of it. But he, he had this, like, you know, I wouldn't call him uh, an architecture design buff by any means, but he just had this appreciation for what it was because he does recognize that things have, you know, changed. And um, he said, I remember when I was a kid and on number five, uh, my dad used to hit a shot that damn near would come back to his feet if he left it short on from the tee. And I'm like, five, that's the, that's the par three. And I'm thinking of the hole that's going along the trees and it's got that weird, you know, shape of it. And it's, it's basically concrete up there. I, it's, it's, I was like, that ball doesn't come all the way back. He goes, no, no, no. We used to hit it the other direction. I was like the other direction. I go, Oh yeah, I heard about this. So that was the volcano hole. And so I asked him, I go, man, that'd be cool to bring back. He goes, I'd love to bring it back. <laughs> I said, well, what do you need? He goes money. <laughs> and, and so we did, we did a fundraiser, you know, it, it was pouring down rain last year, but we did a fundraiser sight unseen and said, all right, we're go. I got, I got my hickories in the car. We're doing a, a hickory close to the pin challenge. If you want to play, you got to put in 20 bucks minimum donate to this, this hole. So we raised them a couple thousand bucks that day. And sure enough, Jim, uh, they're bringing it back that he's, yeah. he's working on it. And so I, you know, they, I know that you, we, we asked you, Hey, um, your, your aerial drawing showed us a little bit of that. Obviously it was on there. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, but w- w- tell us about that whole, what it really was. Yeah. I mean, to your point, it was a monster. It's just so uphill and it's so bold and you hit it, you hit it up there and you're one foot short of where you thought, uh, <laughs> where you thought a good shot was and it's coming pretty far back. Um, you can see it. I mean, if you could see it on the map, uh, how I mean, it's it's probably what twenty feet of difference in in like a hundred yards. It's crazy uphill, um, and it's cool when you model it out. Uh, how crazy it looks just in three three dimensional space. Um, there's pictures. I mean, obviously you can go see it and you can see pictures of it uh, overgrown now. But I'm excited to see once they start clearing it and see how much of uh, It'll be exciting to just cut all that grass down and get, cause it's just an open area now, just cut all down and just see the contours before you even start to do anything with grass. Um, it, it was just such a, it's such a different hole. I'm sure people used to complain about it. And then I know, I think it was in like the mid seventies, one of the pros built that new hole to the left. And um, it's, I don't know. I mean, the new hole to the left is fine looks like something you'd find in the seventies. Um, it's just the, the volcano hole is just different. You know, it's so just unique and the the flag just sits up there, like kind of perched above nothing. It'd be great to clear those trees out behind it and make it feel like you're kind of on the, if you go along, you're just, the ball's going to go forever. And and that's, you know, if you wouldn't have pointed it out with your, uh, your drawings. And if, if he wouldn't have told us that I would never have turned right you know kind of yeah. how obli- it was funny how oblivious we are on a golf course but you you even start to notice that the tee is shaped the other direction that it's just yeah. like yeah. oh it's, here it is yeah and it's crazy i mean you can see that 
you can see like you can see the green pad everywhere and you can see you can go to any of the greens there and look and if you stand in the middle of the green the green pad will go 10 yards out further than what the greens are and that's you can do that in any golf course to see how much the greens are shrunk over time it's just Kankakee is such a different place because literally being that it's just been financially strapped for so long and they barely survived. They've never done any renovation. They've never touched any of it. And that means it's an opportunity for it's exciting as a, just as like an architect and an architecture buff that like there's a place like that. You could just take back to the twenties or thirties without really lifting a shovel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, so with uh, what, what would need to be done to the volcano hole? Cause the volcano hole, even though, it wasn't touched. It, it also wasn't touched. Like it is like you yeah. said, the grass was, was you'd, knee high and you'd obviously have to kill all the grass and regrass it and do all that. I mean, you'd probably want to core out the green and put in new root zone mix and some drainage and all that jazz. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, there's really not, there's really not too much work. I mean, you just have to kill, you'd have to kill all the weeds that are there now. You'd have to go about eight inches, six to eight inches down where the, on on the green and put new mix in and then create a basically fairway again around it like down to however long you want to go i mean you can kind of see it in a 38 aerial it, it's hard to tell i've seen i've seen it like i've adjusted the color on photoshop to see if i could find like a fairway line um and i've some days it looks like there's like a weird amoeba shape in the front and some days it looks like it goes all the way down to the t it's really hard to tell in some of those aerials but yeah. And then, I mean, that's pretty much it. You just need the 5,000 square feet of root zone mix and grow some grass and you got the whole bag. I mean, it's really just matching the comp. You, you could go down. I mean, if, if they, in those old topsoil pushup greens, you really, all the contours remain pretty much the same um, if they're untouched. And especially if they're not like top dressing it or putting any sand down the, and there's no bunkers or anything for there to be sand splash. So the contours of the green are going to be pretty much original. Um, and you can go, you can probe down to basically the original subgrade essentially and find that and rebuild the green. Um, it's really, it, it's kind of crazy simple <laughs> at a certain level, how, um, how close it is. I mean, it really wouldn't take too much. I think that's what I love about the shot. And there's other great examples in the Midwest of volcano holes. Um, what are some of you, what are some of you, well, first Langford and Moreau though, I can't really think of, do they have other volcano holes and, and some of their other designs? Uh, I mean, I think they had, what's the one at spring Valley. They have the one. Um, yeah. I mean, I think they were just, I don't know if they necessarily set out to create volcano holes, you know, I think that they, they, that was kind of their just MO of building greens up above the surrounds, you know? And then I think certain spots became volcano holes over time because it was like, this is so far above everything else. You know, they're like, Oh, this is a hot, that's how they routed. So then it was like, Oh, high point to high point. We'll get the water between and it became a volcano. I don't know if they necessarily set out to be, to build them as like quote unquote volcano holes. I mean, I've mentioned Skokie earlier. That green is so far above the pond and so far above the, uh, like the bunkers. Um, is that Wakanda recently? And there's some greens there that, I mean, it's, and then they're not even all par threes. I mean, even on the back, like the 15th hole at, uh, Kankakee is yeah. a million yards up in the air. Right. 
No, so it's to my point, like that's, what? I don't know if they necessarily set out to just create one green, like they're all their greens are so high above. That, that makes sense to me. And, and so many of their par threes always stand out. Um, I think it's number four at Lasonia for me is always a thrilling shot, but like for Lasonia or 15, now 15 at Kankakee, where those screens sit so high above, yeah. there's always a spot to kind of miss and come in from though, you know, you yeah. miss on the right of that and the left of the other, but um, it, there's a big miss spot. What I love about this lost volcano hole is like, you look at it and you're just like, all right, I got a wedge in my hand. It's not a long shot, but it's either hit or hit, hit or die. You know, hit the green, you got yeah. a good look at birdie or or don't. And and you're most likely walking away with a four or five. It is cool how it's, it was 124 yards back in the day. And I mean, obviously it's a little different now, but the ball's coming in a little lower back then, but um, it still wasn't a long shot by any stretch of the imagination. And it's cool how different their idea of the like kind of short par three at Kankakee is like this volcano hole versus what you'd see on the East coast. If you were studying like a Ross course or a Flint course or something like that is like heavily bunkered or even like go to like Chicago golf clubs. Like what's that? The 10th hole, the short par three bunkers everywhere. Right. This is bunkerless. And I don't know if that was by design necessarily. I think there's an argument to be made at Kankakee as a whole that they just, that the war started and they stopped maintaining the bunkers and they just kind of filled in over time. But there really isn't a place for a bunker unless it was in the front, which I doubt they would have done like right in the front middle on the volcano hole. So their idea of this short hole with this volcano hole is that it was bunkerless entirely and just sat above everything else. And it was like, hit it or you're, you're pretty much screwed. <laughs> well, we got our, our initial goal of a couple thousand dollars for, for the, the, the crew down there. And I'm told this year we're going to be putting on grass to that, to the volcano. So uh, looking forward to sending you some pictures on, on the updates. Yeah, um, awesome. I, haven't, I haven't been down yet this year. So I'm pretty, pretty pumped. Yeah. I didn't even know that they were, I thought uh, they were still in the planning process. I didn't realize it was happening. That's awesome. We'll see. We'll see where, where they're cutting grass and, and putting them in. Not, not just us. <laughs> I mean, it could, it could just be rough. Not, not just us throwing a stake in the in the middle of it and hitting the hickories at it. But that was fun too. I, I got to say, it's like one, field golf is something I, I wish I did more. Just going, yeah. going to like a park that I think looks cool and taking three clubs and throwing a stick in the ground. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, it's, I'm lucky. There's a place um, right around where my parents live in in uh like wayne like villanova pennsylvania that uh there used to be the original saint david's golf club was basically where a high school is now and there's two holes left that are just this open field and there's a flag at the bottom of it and it's just a grass field and there are two untouched holes from the 1920s just sitting in the middle of a neighborhood and it's crazy and no one realizes that it was a golf hole but it, it like an actual golf course and a golf hole because it's i mean there's a a supermarket there's a lincoln financial headquarters and there's a high school yeah <laughs> um, uh one one question you just made me think of something do you know who designed that or originally it was the pro at st david's because yeah. then ross came in and designed their um their current location there there's uh, been this like i mentioned we've had so much interest in langford moreau courses after people have experienced them and connected to that history and, and gotten excited about it because everyone obviously knows Ross McKenzie and George Thomas and these others, and, and we'll always aspire to play those places. But 
are there other like it, i feel like we're only scratch, scratching the surface on these regional architects who are lesser known who did really cool stuff like is there somebody that has has crossed your plate that you get kind of giddy every time that, that you see they did the work somewhere it's a good question i think there's a lot of golf courses around where i grew up that are alex finley designs um and some are better than others, um, but they're always interesting. You can see that it's from that time. Um, the Gordons, who were kind of like a Flynn protege, and Ross protege, they, they're, they're always interesting. There's just kind of like, um, they have kind of like Ross on steroids, canned Ross features. Um, so some of their stuff is better than others. And I mean, you'd be surprised how regional a lot of these like great architects were minus like, like there's a chef, the Langford and Moreau pair designed what 200 golf courses, 200 plus golf courses, but it's pretty much all regional. I mean, it's from it's Chicago huge. down through the Midwest. Um, you see a, the same thing with like a William Flynn, who's pretty much just a Philly guy, uh, like Philly down the like mid Atlantic, got like, in the water a little one bit. In, yeah, one in Cleveland, and uh, yeah. yeah, you know who's an under the radar architect from like kind of the dark ages is Dick Wilson. He did um, down in Florida Pine Tree, which is incredible, and um, he did some work at Marion back in like the '60s and '70s, I think. And uh, he did Bitterman down in uh, Delaware, where Tyler's actually a member, and that place is incredible. Um, so he's a good one if just for at least if you're in the Philly area or like in the on the East Coast, he's a great one. And that's a good list. That's more than I had. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think someday, you know, there'll be some golf geeks talking on a podcast about you know, Jim Ryan, Tyler Ray, Kyle Franz, where those guys are at? I hope. Um it's it's such a different industry now because you know, like the the 95% of the business is in restorations and renovations. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens next. You know, I don't know where the golf architecture space will be in 10 years um, because they're sure that there are conversations had about building new golf courses, but those calls go to two or three people. And then as those guys start to phase out, which is coming, um like what's going to happen next you know is it is there going to be some 28 year old that has a family connection that gets to build a golf course in nebraska and blows up like and that's nothing against david mcclay kid it's that's just like that's not a that's awesome i mean that's i I would love that career like that's he's unbelievable what he does it's you got it like there's just only one opportunity like that so that's a hard uh like who knows you know there's just there's right place and right time you know i i'm just fascinated by what you guys do it's such a yeah and it's there's it's just so different you know like it's right place at the right time and there's all the guys at the top are absolute geniuses and there's so, like those four guys at the top like the core crenshaw gil Haynes, david mcclay kid doke they're all so talented and then there's just like there's probably 20 guys that are just like chomping at the bit to be the next. And it'll be interesting to see like where it comes from, you know, scrapping out. There's for every Tom Doak, there's, there's guys that 
are talented, they just never get a chance, you know? Do you think there, there'd be any, any interest in a reality television show that takes all you guys and just throws you in like a house for six months and, and it's a design off competition, you know, I love bachelorette. <laughs> I think it would be, I, so <laughs> I think it's fascinating to go study the, like, I, I think going to clubs and finding routings that never happened is actually more fascinating than fu- like looking at what's in the dirt. And I know this is just like an absolute geek thing to like talk about, but there are so many clubs that have routings from like, like Walter Travis will have routed a golf course in the twenties that never got built, or there'll be like a, a random Ross routing that never got built. And then some pro built the, um, built the golf course or like it, those are the routings that are so fascinating. And you see, like I've seen recently, I've seen golf courses where like Robert Trent Jones will have done a routing in the sixties for like a third nine and put an Island green in and stuff and like just crazy stuff. And that's, I think it would be so fascinating if there was just a, someone came out and was like, I have $10 million. I'm going to build a golf course. And he called 10 architects and he said, I will pay each of you a master plan fee to build to give me a plan and then he chose the best one and just to see i mean obviously we're talking about endless research talking about let's put it on television man i want to see it it would be so cool to understand like what someone built like what they were thinking when they were building bannon dunes what they were thinking when they were building terry Eady, what they were thinking when they were building whatever and the sight line like oh hoopy like places like that that are these great like modern just marvels and they're so different in like scale and like i mean it's just wild like what people pulled off in the early 2000s to think about how different how different it all was i mean there's the stories are are crazy it would be fascinating i i agree with you all right, I'm going to get our production team working on the, this, the rights <laughs> to this. Because my only requirement is that there has to be a house. Everyone has to live in it so that we get a little bit of drama. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, man, yeah. if Bobby Weed eats my peanut butter one more time, I swear <laughs> I'm going to flip out. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like guys like Bobby Weed, like if you look at the industry, he's had an unbelievably successful career. And it's just, there's the industry is so quote unquote top heavy where it's like he's not necessarily a household national name but you look around like talk about like he's built some great golf courses yeah no he has it's and he's done some he's done some cool stuff in philly actually like white manor and glenn mills and stuff like that he's he's talented well it's it's fun to see it uh just because us who love golf you know we want uh, more compelling golf so supporting you guys and making sure that you know there's uh, that influence I think is, is part of our responsibility as, as golfers. Yeah. All right. I got one last thing for you. Uh, right. It's our 19th soul. I don't know if you're a listener to the pod, but we do this for every guest this season. Um, I have ad- adapted 35 questions from Marcel Proust, the French novelist, and he was in search of the truest nature of an individual. We are in search of the soul of the golfer. Because we can't forget, you guys build golf courses, but you're still golfers. You know, yeah. deep down, you're still hitting yeah. shots. You still think about it in, in that regard, I'm sure. So uh, this is intended to be quick answer. You know, first thing that pops in your head. Uh, some of them can get pretty deep, pretty philosophical. Uh, in sake of time, we want you to just, just let it fly. Yeah. So, Jim, are you ready? I'm ready. 
Number one, when were you the happiest as a golfer? Uh, Three-time father-son champion at Waynesboro. Wow. Yeah. Defending back-to-back? No, no. Uh, it was back like in college and high school. Uh, we haven't gotten the crown in a few years, but that's, that's my crowning achievement. Awesome. Number two, what's the scariest golf shot? 16 at Cypress. Specific. I like it. Is that because of the beauty? It just kind of overwhelms? Yeah. I th- um, here's a personal one, too. 13th tee at Kiowa. Uh, we're at the, at the PGA. I, I encourage you to – you might need a helicopter to get back to that tee box, but it is so – it's like a 520-yard hole to like a 15-yard ribbon of fairway against a river. Good luck. Yeah, that looks that looked brutal. That eat a lot of guys up too. <laughs> yeah. Number three, what is your go-to order at the halfway house? Uh, three high noons. <laughs> <laughs> Number four, what is the trait you most deplore in your own golf game? Um, my inability to hit a fairway. Number five, what is the quality you most look for in a playing partner? Uh, someone that doesn't take it too seriously. Someone's just out there to have fun. Number six, number six, what is the trait you most deplore in other golfers? Uh, people that think that they're on the PGA Tour. It's <laughs> a lot of those. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of those. Number seven, what words or phrases do you most overuse on the golf course? Uh, podcast appropriate, probably none. Um, good shot. That's, that's just stock for whoever, uh, good, good ball. Nice one. Do you ever abbreviate it? I, I find myself saying like, it's not even the full word shot. I think it used to be instead of good shot, I used to say shot. Now I just think it's like a form of shot. It's just, yeah. Or, shot, or, shot. Yeah, or if it's like the last guy on the tee and you're like kind of walking off, you're like, ah, ball. And you throw your hand up. Yeah. We speak in, in, uh, native tongues. Number eight, what golfing talent would you most want to have? Tiger's ability to putt. Number nine, what is your most treasured golf possession? The fake Riviera hanging on the wall? What's that? Your fake (laughs) Riviera hanging on the wall. wall. My most treasured golf possession. I don't know. I don't have. I mean, three-time father-son champ. Those trophies are pretty good. I like those. Um, yeah. I, uh, I went to Ireland for the first time a few years ago, and I have some good, some good stuff from there. We did a good, we had a good week. But, yeah, I, I, think, uh, I think it's just more sentimental in value, probably the father-son stuff. That's a good one. Making the turn, number 10, what's the one thing in your golf bag you should throw out? Uh, my hybrid, my three hybrid that is about 12 years old and I need to get rid of it. I should also probably clean out the pockets of like old sunscreen and, uh, <laughs> bug spray from like high school. <laughs> Half it's quite, it's all expired. It does. Uh, yeah. It's a security thing. Just having it in the bag. Uh, number 11, what is your favorite occupation in, in golf? Favorite occupation. I'm pretty lucky what I do. I mean, is that what, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, being golfers are, like, if you told me, if you said, looked at the kid that did the high school project that I sit there and look at every day and said, 
what, nine years later, this is going to be your job. I, and I, like, I haven't accomplished anything in this industry and I'm, I couldn't be happier. So, yeah. Well, a lot of guests answer that one with golf course architect. So the golf course architect might as well. Yeah. Number 12. Have you ever asked another golfer for their autograph? I don't think I have. No, not an autograph guy. It just kind of, like, I, <laughs> I just don't like an autograph just makes it like you get the hat autograph and you can't wear the hat. I get it. <laughs> Believe me. I get it. Number 13. What historical golf figure do you most relate to? Do I most relate to? I would say off the top of my head, probably like one of the old architects like McKenzie or something that came to golf course design from a completely different perspective. Like not really like not a pro that went into it or like a superintendent, like was just in something completely different and just got into the business and I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> so I relate to that. Not comparing myself to him by any, you, know, <laughs> no, you, gotta, you gotta relate to him, man. I think that's, that's very telling, right. Of, yeah, of who you yeah. relate to. Uh, number 14, what is your greatest golf regret? Mm, my greatest golf regret would be not, I don't really have any regrets, but I don't think I truly appreciated how good of a like golf upbringing I had, especially with like the golf courses around where I live. Like I didn't, Waynesboro, the club I grew up at is by no means like a, it hosted a PGA tour event. Like it's not a slouch golf course. Um, but then the golf courses, like I would just grow up playing with friends or whatever, like the Marions of the world, the Ironics, like golf mills is a nat, like people all over the country talk about golf mills. And I just thought it was just like another golf course growing up, you know? Um, the Philly countries, the Saucon valleys, like the, you start going out towards like the middle of Pennsylvania and I'm playing like gap events and there's, random like Tillinghast courses like the the Galen Halls of the world where it's the first island hole it's like a Tillinghast design it's like I thought this was just like a run-of-the-mill public course that was 18 bucks to play and I'm playing like a junior event there thinking it's like wow this is poorly maintained <laughs> and it's like that's that's all I knew and then you get look back now and you're like wow like I missed so much growing up I I love I love to take everyone from Philly and plop them into, you know, in a younger U S city and just say, fend for yourselves. What, what do you think of, of the golf now? Huh? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, number 15, what is your favorite golf book or movie? I love Ross's uh, golf has never failed me. I, it's just, it's kind of just like, the, it's, it's not like too much. It's not, overly complex it's just like it's just golf like that's just golf course design it's just easy like it's just that's how it, it's layman's terms for golf course design i think it's like i think that's kind of the book everyone should read if they're just looking to learn more about it this next one is, is always tough i think it's especially tough for someone with your design background but uh we actually flipped it we used to say what's your your favorite hole in golf but we find <laughs> We find we, we reveal more of the individual's soul if we ask, what is your least favorite hole in all of golf? Oh, man. I'm either going to get in trouble or I, that's such a hard question. I'm trying to think of like, what is my least favorite goal, hole in all of golf? I'm trying to think of like a prominent one that would be a, uh, like people would know. How about, 
fourth hole at Augusta. Hmm. I think that's the worst hole on that golf course by far. The par three. Yeah. There is nothing to it. Hmm. It is 240 yards of straight carry to a green that can't hold a 240 yard shot. Yes. Yeah. It kind of does feel a bit. It's placed in a way. It does not belong out there. It's probably, is it the longest part three out there? Yeah. It just doesn't, it doesn't fit. It's, it is a, it is a modern adaptation of that place. And it just doesn't fit. I think the fourth old Augusta is a very good one. That's a great answer. What, uh, what you would probably know, what was it? Like what did McKenzie initially have there? Is it the Uh, same thing? I have to look at the drawing. There's some cool, cool, like old watercolors of Augusta and stuff from like the 1930s. And you know, it's like the first place they ever really used a bulldozer, ironically. Um, when we start talking about like Langford and Morel, it's kind of prevalent. But uh, that, yeah, they, there's like the first, one of the first bulldozers ever used in golf course design was like 1929 or whatever at Augusta. Pretty crazy. But um, no, yeah, I, I don't, it, obviously the, the green would have, the approach would have been much more um, open back in the day. Now it's just a cross bunker, essentially. Right. It just looks like the – you know what the worst hole in golf is, actually, now that I think about this, is the third hole at Torrey Pines. The third hole at Torrey Pines. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is the worst hole in golf. Um, easily. I can say <laughs> without question that's the worst hole in golf. It's timely. Well, on Twitter, that would get a lot of uh, votes, yes. Yeah, it's it's so bad. <laughs> Uh, I mean, is it, do you feel like that's one of the travesties in, in great American golf is that we haven't redesigned Tory to use its actual features? Yeah, I think it gets a bad rap. I think that's kind of like a, one of the cliche ones to like to crap on, but um, it's underwhelming for sure. It's just, everything is so disconnected. I don't know if the routing is necessarily that bad. It's just that the scale is so off because they play the U S open there. Yeah. And if everything was just more connected and the features were all scaled correctly, then it might be better, but there's definitely some missed opportunities out there for sure. It's just, there's such great views and you don't see a lot of it. Right. I'm getting distracted from our questionnaire. So where was I? Number 17, uh, first pre-question. Do you listen to music on the golf course? You see, you enjoy your high noons and hanging out. Nice 70. Yeah. Yeah. We'll throw on uh, some classic rock. Classic rock. Okay. You have one song to listen to on the golf course for the rest of your life. What is it? It needs to have like a good, like, it needs to be something. This is See, I have a weird music taste. You know, I, I listen to like ACDC and like Foo Fighters and Guns N' Roses and stuff. Um, I'm going to say a Foo Fighters song. I am a river by the Foo Fighters is a great rock song and it's, but it's slow enough that like, you're not going to be whacking swinging too hard every time you hit the ball. It just kind of keeps you in the mood, but it's like nice and slow. That's one we have not heard much Foo Fighters. I'm a big Foo Fighters fan. Yeah. Big Foo Fighters guy. 18 last question. And then we have your soul. If you had a motto, maybe you do. But if you had a motto, what would it be? It's not fun. It's not worth doing. It's not fun. It's not worth doing. Jim Ryan, you've completed the 19th soul. Thanks, man. Yeah. And thanks for for coming on. Uh, Thanks for uncovering the the now fifth volcano hole at at Kankakee. 
looking forward to seeing you next time we're, we're out and about. I know you're all over the place, but so where can, if any of our members wanted to look you up or, or check out your stuff, where should they go? Yeah, my website's jimryangcdesign.com and uh, my Instagram and my kind of dormant Twitter is uh, <laughs> Jim Ryan, at jimryangcdesign. But yeah, I appreciate you having me. Definitely uh, give you a shout next time I'm in Chicago, which is all the time. <laughs> yes, sir. We love seeing you. Thanks, man. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the show this week. If you are not a subscriber, please do subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Instagram, we're at New Club Golf. This episode was produced by Mark Caldwell with research assistance by Jim Sitar. The backdrop is supported by members of New Club Golf Society and our official partners. Journeyman Distillery is the official partner of this year's summer medal at Sand Valley and Lasonia. Golf and whiskey go together like, well, the perfect twosome. My favorite is their Silver Cross. It's a name that hails from the medal given out at the early days of the British Open. This medal would later come to symbolize friendship, tradition, camaraderie, and spirited competition. In that same spirit, Journeyman has created a tradition they call Four Grains for Golf, donating 1% of all sales from Silver Cross Whiskey back to the various golf charities and organizations that teach kids the game of golf. It instills in them its core values. Kids play free on Welter Follies 30,000 square foot real grass putting green. Not kidding, it's huge. Modeled after Himalaya's putting course in St. Andrews, Scotland. Journeyman has been distilling artisan spirits for a decade in their historic Featherbone factory located in the one stoplight town of Three Oaks, Michigan. They are grain to bottle, produce certified organic, kosher, and gluten free award winning whiskeys. And you can check out their full portfolio of spirits at journeymandistillery.com. <laughs>